All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from New York City on this, the uh, the 28th of December, uh, 2021. As usual, I'm speaking to you from the borough of Queens here in the city of New York. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to invite you to continue sending along whatever comments you have about this show to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions and number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We, of course, do want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Firefox Gold, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp, Lion One Metals, and SK Mining Corp. I've titled today's show, Viewing 2022 Through the Eyes of Crestcat Capital. This being the, fr- the last show of 2021, we are going to focus on a quick review of, 20, of the year and, uh, and then more importantly look forward to the new year uh, that will begin in another couple of trading days. To help us do that, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that we have the brain trust of Crestcat Capital to share their views. In the first two segments of today's show, Kevin Smith the founder of Crescat Capital, and Tavi Costa, who is a portfolio manager at the company, uh, will share their views on the global macroeconomic picture uh, as we head into the new year. Then, to round out today's show, Quentin Henning, who is one of this show's most popular and frequent guests, will join me uh, to talk about three gold and silver exploration companies he thinks has a shot at generating the same kind of returns for investors as Great Bear recently did when it agreed to sell its five-plus million-ounce gold deposit, that is the Dixie deposit in Ontario, to Kinross. Uh, the, uh, uh, to the extent that time permits, I'm hoping that Quentin can also share some of uh, the stories of, uh, uh, that he is covering, some of the companies that he's covering uh, that he believes have the potential uh, to become, uh, to really become significant discoveries as well. And there's a number of them. Uh, many of which are sponsors of this show and and many others beyond that as well. So uh, we'll look forward to what Quentin has to say. Some really exciting opportunities, I think, for investors as we head in uh, to 2022 in the gold and silver exploration and mining space. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Kevin uh, and Tavi are here to share their insights uh, about 2021, what's happened last year uh, for the markets and going forward in 2022. Kevin and Tavi were both on this show once before. Uh, for those of you who may not remember or have heard them, I should tell you that Kevin has been managing investment portfolios since 1992. It's a career spanning multiple business cycles, of course, and he has been the lead portfolio manager of Crestcat 
five investment strategies since their uh, since the respective inceptions. He is the creator of Crestcat's firm-wide global macro investment process and systemic uh, equity valuation model. And Tavi has built Crestcat's model, the uh, macro model, that identifies the current stage of the U.S. economic cycle through a combination of 16 factors. His research has been featured in financial publications like Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, CCN, Financial Post, The Globe and Mail, Real Vision, and Reuters. And so really pleased to welcome both of you. Thanks, Kevin, and thanks, Tavi, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, It's really great to have you. Uh, You guys have done remarkable work uh, with your firm. I've just learned to know you over the last year or so, um, and uh, I'm really happy to have you. I'd like to start out. Uh, asking you a question that I think is a really good question that Adam Taggart likes to ask his guests to start his interviews. The question is this, given the, given the way the world looks right now, what is your current assessment of the global economy and the financial markets? And uh, I don't know which of you would like to start, but maybe Tavi, we start with you and then Kevin, you can join in then. Well, I, I think one of the things that we, we got to think about is remembering that commodities to equity ratio being at a 50-year low is very telling about where we are in terms of the macro uh, setup. Uh, we're very concerned. I think the biggest risk for 2021 uh, certainly is uh, valuations and the excessive, uh, you know, especially the detachment of price versus fundamentals among uh, some of the sectors in the economy today. Part parts of it, in our opinion, is in the tech sector, which has been seen most of the inflows from funds and larger uh, capital allocators really focusing mostly uh, on uh, technology-related projects, where we saw uh, most of that capital flows, uh, forgetting the basic necessities and basic needs of the economy, such as natural resource industries. And so we've seen uh, an evaluation uh, profile of those industries that are part of either tech or natural resources being stretched in both Mm -hmm. ways, one being massively undervalued versus another one being massively and historically overvalued giving us an opportunity of really building a portfolio of you know, really exploring and exploiting most of uh, Quinton's uh, you know, expertise in this precious metal space of focusing and exploration, but also adding this other hedging part of the book uh, into things that we think are going to be re-rated in prices relative to where those businesses, the underlying businesses are as far as fundamentals go. So we're very concerned about equity markets and excessive liquidity, which is one factor that is really building uh, and holding the whole market. Um, and now we're seeing the inflation issue becoming more persistent, and central banks are becoming are getting into are becoming uh, hamstrung in our opinion uh, to really react and continue to add liquidity here. So this is our, I would say, in in a two minute version of of our mm-hmm. views here. Mm-hmm. Kevin, anything to add? Um, well, just um, you know, really to put it as succinctly as I possibly can. I think investors have a problem today, and it's twofold. The biggest, um, you know, the first part of that problem, if not the biggest problem, is valuations. And it's both the valuations of the the stock market today, and it's the valuations of of fixed income instruments, so the bond market as well. And and the, the other, you know, part of the challenge that investors have as we go into the new year is, you know, with, with these record valuations that we have for both stocks and bonds, 
you know, how am I going to beat rising inflation? Because inflation really is rising today. And, um, and so this is uh, the issue that people have to face. Mm-hmm. So you see the, uh, the extreme overvaluation in the tech sector and extreme undervaluation in the commodities sector. You have these four funds, the Crestcat Global Macro Hedge Fund, the Crestcat Long Short Hedge Fund. You've got the Crestcat Large Cap Separately Managed as, uh, Account Strategy and the Crestcat Precious Metals uh, Separately Managed uh, Account Strategy as well. Uh, how, um, how do you play that out and how are you using those funds uh, to invest according to that uh, perspective that you, the two of you just uh, just talked about? Uh, maybe either one of you can start. Kevin, maybe with you. Well, I'd be happy to, yeah, to try to to address that. So basically we have we have different ways of slicing and slicing and dicing the the market and the opportunities in the markets to appeal to different investors uh, uh, you know predilections and and uh, so if you start with our broadest mo- most most uh, overriding fund that has all of the themes at Crestcat that that would be our global macro fund and you know we call ourselves a value oriented or a value driven global macro firm and and what um, what we're able to do really with the global macro fund is exploit all of our themes across all the various asset classes, whether it be equities, commodities, currencies, fixed income instruments, and that's where we were able to to get the um, the long and the short exposure in a true hedge fund uh, type structure for for people, and so we can have bo- both the the overvalued equity shorts. Uh, uh, on the short side, as, as well as the, the currency shorts like our China uh, uh, yuan and, and Hong Kong dollar, um, you know, currency plays through put options, and and uh, as well as being short the um, you know uh, high yield bonds and 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 the long end of, of the the sovereign you know treasury curves, which we think are you know have impossibly low interest rates um, that you know to be maintained in this rising global inflation in, environment, and then on the long side we can have a broad variety of, of commodity exposure, uh, including our precious metal stocks, but also other areas like energy and, and other materials. And, um, and so that's where you get everything. Long short is just kind of that the, the long short equity piece of it. And then our precious metals uh, focus fund is, is really the, the um, uh, you know, just the precious metal side of things, which is heavily tilted towards exploration today. And then we, we also have um, a precious metals SMA account, which is more of a retail-oriented strategy, not not so much the hedge fund, uh, which which can also short and which can invest in private placements, for instance, in the hedge fund. Um, you know, not to go on too long here. I, that you know that, that, that that's kind of how our different strategies differentiate themselves. We also have a large cap SMA, which is again more of a retail product that that owns more of the larger cap um, value-oriented equities today. Mm-hmm. Uh, just real quickly, could you give our listeners an idea of what sort of investment minimums are required to get into these various funds? I just think it's it would be good for people to know. Uh, absolutely. So the the, the three um, private fund strategies, the hedge funds, if you will, have two hundred and fifty thousand dollar minimums. Mm-hmm. Although I think the, our long short has a small lower minimum of one hundred thousand, and the um, and then the SMA strategies. That's the more uh, Retail-oriented product is uh, there. It's a twenty-five thousand dollar minimum for the precious metals strategy, and a fifty thousand dollar minimum for large cap. Uh huh. Very reasonable. A lot of people uh, certainly could afford those those levels. I would think. Um, well, I, you know, you have a long short 
uh, strategy, a, a shorting. It just seems to me every time I try to think that the, you know, I think the equity markets are overpriced. Uh, I try to take some little short position and I get creamed every time. I mean, every single time. It just seems as though um, the whoever's in, uh, the chairman at the Fed, Federal Reserve, whoever's running the Fed, always has the back of the people that are long on the equity markets. You guys are employing a short strategy. How do you manage that? I'll let uh, Javi take this one. Why don't okay. you talk about the liquidity? Sure. I, yeah. I, I think as far as the, the portfolio um, management side of it goes, uh, we're, you know, I think we, we view this part of the position not just as a hedge to the portfolio, uh, but also as a major opportunity. Is It truly is. Uh, it's, you know, the precious metal side certainly is the ultimate deep value opportunity uh, just to give you statistics about this, if for every dollar coming into the global equity market, just about five cents is going to commodity producers. Uh-huh. When you go into that five cents, just about nine percent of that is actually going to precious metals uh, companies. Uh, but then, when you extrapolate on the technology side, uh, it is even more concerning as far as the valuation part of it. Uh, you know, we think as you know, you're starting to see some sides of the market starting to show uh, issues. One, uh, that latest stock has probably already peaked. Uh, AMC is another one. The Chinese stocks really peaked back in February. ARK Investments, uh, mm-hmm. or if you just look at Goldman Sachs, non-profitable companies, it's another way to see that uh, there is an issue with cost of capital beginning to rise, uh, while uh, a lot of assets are still be, uh, being having to be justified by uh, you know this the suppressed level of interest rates in general. So we are concerned about uh, this rotation out of record overvalue assets into uh, really cheap assets. So uh, the way we view this is not just as a hedge. Uh, it really is a, a way of, of of differentiating our strategies, uh, but also capturing and capitalizing. We think it's one of the biggest macro themes uh, of the next few years, which is the struggle of equity. Uh, markets uh, where either uh, a lot of the software and tech companies are going to be, all of them are going to be the next Amazons, or uh, we're going to have a major valuation uh, issue going forward uh, that those companies are going to have to be re-rated accordingly. So, you know, this is the, the concern. It's, it's almost like buying the, uh, the the really cheap parts of the market through Quentin Tanny's uh, expertise mm-hmm. uh, at the same time applying our models and quant models in general uh, to really find what are the most expensive companies out there uh, to be exposed to uh, as a uh, as a fund yeah it reminds me very much of uh, 2000 the bubble of, uh, of 2000 the tech bubble uh, there were survivors a very few of them and those that survived uh, Turned out to be some of the greatest companies that we uh, the, that exist today. So uh, uh, we're going to uh, have to take a break right now. But when we come back, I want to ask both of you to talk a little bit more about the interest rates and get your gold and silver um, outlook for the next year. And of course, maybe a, a little bit of your commentary, both of you, about the gold and silver uh, expiration markets before we turn to Quentin Henning uh, in the second half of today's show. Well, we are going to go to break now. Um, But don't go away because we'll be right back uh, with Tavi and Kevin.
SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have back with me uh, Tavi and Kevin uh, from Crestcat Capital. And uh, I want to ask, uh, of course, we want to get their views on the precious metals. Um, but before we go there, I would like to hear uh, uh, perhaps, Tavi, you can start with you on interest rates. You know, we're looking at ten-year a 10-year yield that's way, way below the inflation rate. Uh, and University of Michigan CPI expectations, I think it was one of your slides you recently uh, provided at Crestcat Gets Active, uh, one of your YouTube videos. Um, over the next 10 years, they're looking for something like 2.35%. Well, we already have inflation that's, what, 8% and probably higher than that, but those are the government numbers. Uh, what are your thoughts about the predictability of longer-term uh, you know, some people think that some people are saying that, well, don't, what are you worried about inflation for? Look at the 10-year yield. I mean, it's not telling us there's any inflation. As if the 10-year yield could really predict inflation. And some people, I think Jim Bianco, for example, has talked about the 10-year um, not being a predictor of inflation, but rather a predictor of a breaking point. Uh, Tavi, any, any thoughts along those lines? Well, I think anyone using the 10-year yield to look at signals for inflation is either ignoring the fact that the Fed is the largest buyer of those instruments or choosing to ignore that. But what concerns us is the fact that the Treasury market, the issuance of especially the long end of the curve, so the, the bonds and notes of Treasuries, of we're seeing issuances uh, of $600 billion every three months. The Fed has been buying somewhere close to 40% of that uh, with QE. Uh, and the question really is if they're going to be uh, removing that part of the liquidity of the market, who is going to be the buyer of all this? Yeah. Magically, we've seen banks uh, taking uh, some of that liquidity recently. But I don't think they're going to be able to do it all. So uh, either foreign investors are going to do it. Uh, however, uh, there is certainly a need for central banks to start rebuilding their credibility, uh, especially in regards to what's happening with this questioning from individuals and institutions about uh, the, the either the strength or the no anchor towards 
of fiat currencies in general. And mm-hmm. so I think there's going to be a need for uh, central banks as a whole, uh, globally, especially developed economies, to start rebuilding that credibility by buying things like gold uh, in order to create that tangible anchor back uh, to where we saw. And to your question about inflation and all those issues, you know, coming from an emerging market economy, I know very well that you don't fight inflation with double-digit twin deficits, zero <laughs> interest rates, and adding QE for another three months. That's just not how you do it. Uh, you have to raise interest rates at least double digits to do something like that. Well, you know, I think policymakers have completely lost their notion of how to deal with inflation. So you know, you look at, for instance, just very quickly, negative yielding bonds worldwide. They used yeah. to be somewhere close to $18.5 trillion. No one talks about this. It's $6 trillion lower. So cost of capital is on the rise, particularly among developed economies. And I think that's going to start, uh, I think uh, investors are going to start connecting the dots of what instruments, i.e. technology companies and high duration assets, are not priced accordingly if we have a world where capital uh, cost of capital is supposedly much higher than what it is today. So you know, we're concerned about all those issues. We're short treasuries in our funds. Um, and another way to do that trade is is by being short technology and software companies as a whole. Uh, so you see, uh, I guess, in- inflation continuing to rise, uh, the Fed really not having any tools to deal with it, any, any tools that they can deal with. Um, the system will break down if they try to stop it, like Volcker did in nineteen uh, in, in 1980. Uh, there's really no answer uh, to this other than just more printing, ultimately, after the system breaks down. Or, or I don't know. Kevin, maybe you want to weigh in? Um, well, that, yeah, that's a great question because um, I think, you know, for the Fed to come back in with all that liquidity again, what we need to see is something break down first. So, mm-hmm. Um, where we are in the cycle right now is we think that the, the Fed really does have to, to start some kind of tightening. Of course, they've announced the taper. Uh, there is some, some interest rate hikes in, you know, further out priced into the yield curve right now. But, uh, but it's really nothing com- compared to where inflation is really running today. So you talked about Volcker in, you know, in, 19, in the late 70s and early 80s, hiking interest rates all the way up to 20%. I mean, we're at 0% right now on the short end of the curve. So we got a long ways to go. Um, you know, inflation is running at 6.8%, but the 10-year inflation expectations priced into the TIPS curve right now are only 2.5%. So you have short-term inflation, CPI running at 6.8%. But long term, I think people do actually still think that inflation is going to be transitory to some mm-hmm. degree because mm-hmm. 10-year break-evens are only 2.5% inflation. So, mm-hmm. so we, need, we need to see, um, you, know, you know, first of all, we need to see what's going to happen when the Fed starts removing the liquidity punch bowl. And I think there's a lot of opportunity on the short side, uh, you know, for that. Um, and then, but I think when people start to see that inflation really isn't going away, that they're really hardly doing anything enough to really fight inflation, we're still at zero percent, uh, you know, interest rates. That, um, you know, th- that I, that's when you really start to see precious metals catch a bit. And if you start to see the long-term inflation expectations rising, like in that in those ten-year break-evens, man, I think we're really going to be poised to take off on the gold side. Uh, okay, so what maybe uh, either of you could uh, could comment on what are the dynamics that won't allow if 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 the market isn't seeing this this uh, longer term inflation problem that uh, both of you see what what are they missing? 
Um, either either of you, Tavi, maybe you want to weigh in on that. Well, I think what they're missing is that transition to understanding what assets will be impacted in this world where it's very different than the prior 10 years where we saw disinflationary uh, forces in general through technology, through globalization. Now that's all changing. We're, we're facing a wage uh, you know, growth spiral, in our opinion, the very beginning mm-hmm. of that. Uh, the second part of this has been, uh, you know, the, the underinvestment, this chronic underinvestment into natural resource industries, uh, and this idea that we're going to be rebuilding the whole global economy through electrification and green revolution, yeah. completely miscalculating uh, the issue of finding new minerals that can, or metals that can actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, fit into this this world, this new world. And so uh, today, in order for you to take from exploration to production, uh, any project in natural resource industries, it takes at least 10 years. And so, yeah. you know, we've seen, uh, you know, those trends of CapEx, long-term CapEx already in a declining uh, situation for secular declines. Uh, and so uh, what is it going to change here? And on top of it, we're seeing a lot of the fiscal policies. It's almost like uh, really trying to create a wealth transfer uh, that is really targeted towards the bottom 50%. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, what you get from this as a cost is that inflationary forces tend to be a lot stronger. You've seen, we've seen this throughout history, especially with emerging markets where uh, the target from false, uh, fiscal policy has always been towards uh, the bottom 50% of the population. So, you know, I think there's a lot of issues uh, towards that. And answering your question, what the market is not seeing is that mismatch. It's the total mismatch between those high duration assets relative to, uh, in our opinion, whether it is the ultimate deep value uh, opportunity here, really is in the precious metals industry, really is in the producers. Even more than that is buying gold and silver in the ground, which is, you know, you're buying literally, uh, you know, for uh, for cents on the dollar today, uh, where we think they're worth significantly more than that. And so you're not really uh, you know, I don't think companies are being rewarded for uh, a lot of those successful drill results that we're seeing today. Some of those drill results would be uh, companies would be quadrupling on those numbers, no. and today they barely go up. And so that's what the market is missing. But at some point, we're going to see that um, also the re-rating of the bottle, uh, the bottom of the market, where the value yeah. or perhaps value more according macro yeah. environment. Yeah, I should tell our listeners that uh, Tavi, uh, you are from Brazil, so you uh, you certainly have had uh, some experience with third, with uh, with developing countries and the mentality. But it seems as though the mentality of this developed country, the United States of America, is very similar: print your way out of and and go into debt, uh, which is just a uh, you know a fool's errand for sure. Well, I'd like to to ask you uh, your views on gold and silver. Why have the uh, gold and silver both were, I I think, disappointing performers for all of us bulls um why do you think that was true uh kevin you want to start out with that why do you think 2021 was a disappointment in gold and silver well i think um probably the main reason is that the federal reserve really uh did a an incredible job of selling the world on the idea that inflation is going to be transitory and and they and then they've got our back right that this, mm-hmm. this new tapering program is is going to be what it takes even though they were totally wrong in their dot plots and and everything about how high inflation 
what's going to be here already, I think there's there's still enough enough people, and this is what's priced into that to the, the long end of the curve in terms of inflation expectations. Uh, the world still believes that that long-term inflation expectations are under control, and it's it's and until we really see that that picture change, um, which I believe it in the process of changing, you know, right now. Um, I, I don't think we're going to see gold take off, and 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 so what you've had is other commodities do really well this year, like mm-hmm. energy stocks and uh, and, and, the, and the companies that produce the commodities. So so some of the industry groups that have led the market this year, and and they're doing better than tech stocks, are actually in other you know base metals and 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 um, and energy type industries mm-hmm. uh, and. And uh, and that's okay because it's nice to see commodities starting to to outperform. But why has gold underperformed? I think that's the question on, on everyone's mind. And it's not until that really that long term inflation expectations start to change in people's minds that I, I think we really see gold start to take off. Yeah, and as you were just saying, uh, obviously the market doesn't see that. They are still drinking the Kool-Aid, as it were, uh, from the Federal Reserve, the transitory Kool-Aid, we could call it, I guess. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just wondering, um, with either of you, in terms of Bitcoin and the and cryptocurrencies, uh, I know there's a lot of younger investors that are looking, you know, they distrust the Fed, they distrust the government, they distrust uh, the, the idea, and they realize that this uh, fiat currency system is being used to redistribute wealth to the already people who are already rich and powerful. Uh, they realize that uh, that is that the dollar is losing its value, so they're going into cryptocurrencies. Do you think that might be, uh, Tavi? Do you think that might be one of the reasons that gold isn't doing as well as you might expect it to at this stage? Um, I, you know, I think that it has something to do with that, no doubt. Um, however, I think crypto is important to separate two parts. Number one is there is certainly a speculative uh, side of it, which is uh, fits into, uh, you know, as well as, as the tech industry and the tech sector in general. Uh, I think uh, we're seeing issues uh, with those uh, imbalances in, in that space. However, uh, crypto in general is, is the biggest, in our opinion, is the biggest uh, libertarian political movement we've seen uh-huh. in either in history or in a very long time. And we think that what's going to do here is that more individuals uh, that actually subscribe ascribe to uh, the same ideology of removing uh, either government intervention from the monetary system or at least at least pointing out the failures of the current monetary system in the fiat side, um, I think we're going to start seeing central banks being forced to rebuild their credibility through uh, improving the quality of their international reserves. It's insane mm-hmm. to us that we've seen the best and the most credible central banks today are actually the ones that hold a significant amount of debt from the U.S. and mm-hmm. all treasuries. Yeah. <laughs> and so it is. It is. Uh, it is fascinating to to uh, uh, to look at those uh, those movements. But I think I think that's going to drive you know more individuals to question. Uh, that issue with central banks and the lack of anchor and tangible anchor, first and foremost, from fiat currencies uh, that we lost uh, in some places, especially in the U.S. since the 70s. And so I think that what the crypto revolution in a way is positive. I think that's uh, uh, that's another way of bringing that awareness uh, to uh, investors in general about those, those uh, failures in the monetary system. But, you know, don't forget about the speculative side. You know, certainly it is what Kevin likes to call it the Wild West. 
Uh, and you know we're seeing all sorts of signs of of scams and 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 parts of the industry that are very concerning from a valuation uh, side of uh, things again, uh, but also from a speculative side of things. And so uh, we are concerned about crypto in general as being one of the signs of what we think it's still bearish about uh, the market as a whole. However, uh, it is a it is a libertarian movement that could perhaps uh, drive. Uh, at least the awareness of of credibility of central banks and could be gold and first and foremost the asset that may uh, be driven that demand uh, towards improving quality of international reserves in general. All right, just in summing up in this segment then, let me just ask both of you, uh, bearish on equities and treasuries, bullish on gold, silver, and commodities in general, uh, with the caveat that gold, uh, we may have to wait and see uh, for the market to finally understand that uh, Inflation isn't transitory. Do I have that right? Um, for the most part, I, I would add that on the on the bearish side of equities, for us, it's it, you know we we believe there's a bifurcated market and there's a lot of opportunity in the much narrower value oriented side of the market that is largely the the energy and commodity resource uh, sectors of the stock market. And but there's opportunity on the long side there. On the short side, however, it's it's really the growth stocks and 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 especially the mega cap growth stocks and the technology stocks that make up 50% of a record 50% of the growth stock indices today. Wow. That's mm-hmm. where the bubble is 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 in growth and technology, um, and and there's I don't know what the huge it's a huge chunk of the the companies in these indices that are not even profitable. So the mm-hmm. valuations are are truly excessive today, and there's a lot of risk and a lot of opportunity. We think on that side on that short side of the market too. No, yeah. well, there's certainly a lot of zombie companies out there, and if interest rates start to rise, they're dead. They're dead zombies, and. Um, in that case, uh, it's hard to see where anybody goes except real honest money, gold and silver. Well, we do have to leave it go at that. We have to go to break now. But don't go away because Quentin Henning will be back with us um, right after the break to talk about some of the uh, some of the companies that really have some great great prospects, I think, uh, possibly to, uh, to equal the sort of performance that we've recently seen with Great Bear's Dixie Project. So don't go away. We'll, go, we'll be right back with Dr. Quentin Henning. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions at gmail.com. That's questions 
the number four, Taylor, at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Quentin Henning with me. He is a, a member of the Crestcat Capital team, and uh, he is its technical advisor. Actually, Quentin is more than just a technical advisor because his out-of-the-box geological thought process uh, is sometimes he's sometimes able to see potential mineral value where others have passed it up in the past. And uh, as a as a visionary, he is often able uh, to perceive an entire geological system that brings with it large-scale potential. And that's another thing that many in the past oftentimes uh, don't understand that he he seems to be able to. Uh, to see uh, these large systems. Uh, He has also realized that many exploration projects simply don't have the scale to make them economically worthwhile. Uh, And so his his model is go big or go home. Uh, But I think perhaps one of the characteristics that makes Quinton unique among his peers and very helpful to investors is his ability to boil down geological concepts uh, and explain them so that people without much technical knowledge in geology can comprehend the investment thesis that he and Crescat Capital are investing in. So if you're wondering why Quentin Henning next to Michael Oliver is the most frequent guest on this program, I think I've just explained why. And I'm really happy to have him with me once again today to talk about three companies that have made significant gold discoveries, gold and silver discoveries, and there's a little tin mixed into one of them. Uh, the Quinton believes have a good chance of rewarding Crescat Capital and individual investors, perhaps on a scale comparable to what uh, Great Bear shareholders have recently enjoyed with the uh, discovery of the Dixie Project, a very uh, large multi-million ounce gold deposit in Ontario. Uh, of course, Great Bear was a sponsor of this show in the past, too, and we're very proud to have uh, uh, brought that name to our listeners. Quinton, thank you so much for joining us again. Always a pleasure, Jay. You know, on December 10th, on the Crestcat Gets Active video number 57, uh, you talked about the success of one of our previous sponsors. I just talked about Great Bear Resources. And that was a stock I picked up in this newsletter at 46 cents. It just sold, agreed to sell out to Kinross for $29 Canadian dollars per share, um, or approximately $22.70. That's it's a 48-fold increase, and it sounds like I'm bragging. I must say that for every one of those, there's probably a half a dozen uh, that bit the dust, but uh, of the early exploration companies, anyway. Um, but you know, that's 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 been a, a very great, a very good run. And um, but there's a lot of other ones out there, and and I, you know, I'm following your work very closely, and it seems as though, uh, as you pointed out on on that uh, Crestcat gets active video on number uh, 57, that was in December 10th, that uh, you named three different companies uh, that you think have the, the kind of, um, well, they've had exploration success and they've made major discoveries. Certainly looks major, and of course, uh, what's left is the, is the hard work and the drill, the drilling, the extensive drilling that's required uh, to delineate exactly what they have. So let's, I'd like you to talk to our listeners a little bit about those three um, to start with. SK Mining Corp is one of them. Uh, trades in Toronto, ESK is a symbol in the U.S. ESKYF, 162.5 million shares. I saw it at $2.22 earlier today. That's a $360 million market cap. It's a sponsor of this show, uh, and it's exploring a VMS system that is part of the same system that hosts uh, the great SK Creek mine in British Columbia. So talk to us about why you see this as a, a potential 
big deal. Yeah, look, uh, I think where I'll start just to kind of wind back a min- minute where you started is talking about Great Bear. If you look at Great Bear, absolute fantastic uh, example, you know, textbook example of success. Uh, initial discovery holes made, I believe, in the third quarter of 2017 or somewhere in that time range. And here, here we are four years later, and after drilling, uh, I believe, several hundred thousand meters and having just, you know, very systematic, uh, steady news flow for months and months and months now, they've uh, reached agreement to sell the company for a whopping $29 this year. That's, that's a fantastic result. But it also tells you about the time frame needed, you know, for some of these discoveries to go through that process to to a sale. Now, obviously, part of the that is around the market itself. You know, where's where's the M and A cycle? I think we're starting to see that pick up right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, in the case of SK, uh, it's really just been over the past year, year and a bit, maybe that the the company's demonstrated very sound success around drilling uh, two targets, TV and Jeff, uh, which are really just two of, of a number of targets that they've identified recently across the SK Consolidated property. The The property sits uh, right next to the old SK Creek mine. That's now being developed by Skeena as an open pit. Uh, Skeena has an on the order of, I believe, a five or six million ounce school to coolant <laughs> resource, something like that. And a pretty good grade. It's, you know, it's about four gram, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood, four, four and a half gram gold equivalency. Um, what we're seeing on the SK ground, very similar mineralization. Now, uh, some of the things I would point out, we have a huge land position, about 526 square kilometers. TV and Jeff, while they're uh, first and foremost for, you know, current drilling and exploration efforts, you know, the, anybody that's followed this story can see that we have a number of exciting targets that we've identified uh, both through SkyTim, uh, through the leg sampling and so forth. And we even drill tested some of those late in the season this year. So I think uh, over the next few months, you'll see the remaining 60-odd holes come out. I think there'll be some very good news in there. And you'll see that uh, we have uh, geology and deposits very similar to those that Skeena has across the uh, the fence line. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's a, a lot of drill holes coming back, a lot of news to be, keep our eyes on uh, for SK mining. Uh, the next one you named is El Oro Resources, and this is uh, the 62.1 million shares out. I saw earlier today at $3.16, $196 million U.S. market cap. It's involved in exploring and developing a gigantic silver tin-rich polymetallic deposit in Bolivia. So why do you see El Oro uh, why do you see El Oro having the same kind of, or this uh, su- substantial upside potential? Certainly. Look, again, it's a district-scale play. If you look, it's a very sizable uh, porphyritic silver complex. It's uh, it's very similar to the Potosi district, which is nearby, as well as some of the other mines in this region, such as Minera San Cristobal and so forth. So there's immediate examples of world-class deposits uh, in our neighborhood of the same nature. And what's remarkable is the company spotted their first hole, I believe, around September of 2020. So, in fact, I think SK even spotted their first holes around that same time. So here we are just barely a year into this thing, and it's clear that this system, this uh, tin-silver polymetallic system, it's got lead, zinc, 
and now it appears copper and gold uh, might be significant in part of the system. Uh, it's it's huge. It's it's basically has not the limits have not been defined yet. Uh, Bill Pearson and Oswaldo Arce are drilling uh, t- t- in the Santa Barbara area up in the northwest, uh, targeting an initial resource, but it's really only a small subset of the overall system. And again, they <laughs> every time they drill a hole, they they can't seem to find the edge of the system. It just gets bigger and bigger. So uh, a story that will evolve over the next year or two as they drill more and more, but it's clearly uh, just you know testing an enormous uh, system. I think the target, the resource target area is about 1,400 meters long, 600 meters wide, say 600 meters deep. You know that's a huge volume of rock. So expect very very good news as they they move toward the resource, but also as they test the bigger part of the system. There's lots more to come. Yeah, there's uh, several of these breccia pipes, sizable breccia pipes that host this uh, mineralization, and all along this caldera, it's just really an, it's just really immense, as you say. It's just a very minor portion of the total target. Um, all right, so the third one that you mentioned is newfound gold uh, trades in Toronto. NFGs assemble NFGs. Uh, NFGC in the U.S., 164.2 million shares, $6.94. Um, you know, that's that's a little bigger, Quentin. We're already looking at a, at a market cap of over a billion dollars, $1.14 billion. That's almost, uh, that's quite a bit larger than uh, than the other two that we just talked about. Newfound is, is developing what is growing into a very high-grade, large-scale, epizonal orogenic deposit in Newfoundland. Very much like, um, I guess, very much like the um, the Fosterville mine that you were played a role in discovering over for uh, Kirkland Lake. But but this is, you know, from the world that I live in, Quentin, a 1.14 billion dollar market cap sounds pretty hefty already. But you still see a lot of upside from here, I guess, given the scale of this thing. Is that it? Absolutely. Look, uh, you know, to be frank, there are only a hundred and I think 120 odd thousand meters. Of drilling into this, um, they have assays now for maybe I don't know seventy or eighty thousand meters of that. Uh-huh. They have lots and lots of assays in queue right now. Their plan is to drill four hundred thousand meters. Now, when you hear, you know, a drill program of that size, you got a question: Okay, well, why? Well, it's because this is an enormous uh, high-grade gold system. If you look, the drilling around the Keats zone uh, keeps extending mineralization down plunge. Uh, now they're finding mineralization similar high grade above and below the Keats zone and mm-hmm. new, potentially new uh, zones, parallel zones. And then they're also finding new new bodies of mineralization like at the Golden Joint area and, and Lotto. And, uh, you know, I think there's also drills. They got something like 14 drills turning at, the, at present. So I think they're also starting to see uh, mineralization in new areas. So it's one to keep your eye on. Uh, when you compare it to Fosterville, I would say geologically it's very, very similar. But uh, in my view, this will end up being considerably larger, just given the footprint that we've already defined through the drilling and, and where it's heading. I would say this is going to be significantly more uh, scope than uh, the Fosterville deposit. Uh, Quentin, is there a danger that this thing could go too cheaply? Could it? Could one of the big mining predators come along and snatch it away from shareholders? It it, it is one of those sto- stories. Like I, you know, I, I mean, in the gold space, 
it's seldom do you find a deposit like this that basically is a company maker. Mm-hmm. And so these are the, you know, we'll call it the crown jewels, the most highly sought after type of assets. Um, it is possible that somebody could get aggressive, certainly. Uh, I think it'll take a little while, though. I think maybe watching the company drill a few hundred thousand more meters. You know, I think just like Great Bear, I, I don't know how many meters they had drilled by the end of the day there, but I think once there, there grows a certain level of comfort with the deposit and its mm-hmm. size and potential grade and so forth, I think that's when you usually see, see the major step in. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, of course, those people who were fortunate enough to buy these shares earlier on, SK and uh, El Oro and Newfound, uh, my subscribers have been fortunate to pick them up at lower prices. The biggest uh, percentage returns, of course, are when you can get in early on uh, before the discoveries are made, when there's some good chances, and when you see some early uh, early indications that, that you could have a large system and you hit some nice, big, juicy drill holes. Those stocks can take off and really reward early investors that take that high risk early on. And I want to ask you about a couple of those, uh, time permitting as many as possible here. But I have to ask you about Novo Resources, uh, a company that you were involved with and still are uh, as a um, as a non-executive co-chairman. Uh, Novo, of course, it, it, it really it, uh, shot up to $7, I think, in U.S. money 2017 on the discovery of some a field of, uh, of nuggets and uh, uh, that were hosted in conglomerate rock uh, in West northwestern Australia. Um, but it's uh, you know the share price is down around a dollar, a little more. It's up a little dollar seventeen today. Uh, as the company is going into production, it's never easy for exploration companies to go into production. Uh, but give us a little bit of insights. What's going on with Novo? My thought is, uh, I believe in this company and the possibilities longer term that people that recognize the value now might be richly rewarded going forward. But maybe you can give us a little of an update on Novo and what's transpiring there, what the big picture is. Sure. Look, 2021 is a big year for the company. We went, we basically moved from being an explorer to a producer. Poured our first goal in mid-February. Uh, this uh, end of this year, we are in full production. Uh, the tonnage is about 1.8 million ton. Uh, per year going through the mill at the moment and they're operating at steady state um, I think we've turned the corner on just about every front uh, we're seeing the grades improve we're seeing the grade control issues uh, diminish and, and improve overall uh, but we're also starting to see expiration results come in and uh, our, our mechanical sorting tests work come in hmm. so we're right now I think we're ending the year on a very positive note and I think 2022 is going to be exceptionally good for the company I think you'll see a number of exploration discoveries that will show people that we have a long future in the Nullagine Gold Camp, but also the ability, because of the mechanical sorting test work, to start pulling in some of these other uh, projects, You know, namely Caratha. I think the mechanical sorting test work will prove successful and demonstrate we can make a viable concentrate that can be shipped over uh, from Caratha down to Nullagine and, and processed for gold. So we're we're excited about what we're doing. It, it is a, a tough go making the transition, but I think we've successfully managed it, and I feel very optimistic about the coming year. Well, we're certainly looking forward to uh, those mes- mechanical sorting uh, data that comes out pretty soon. That's uh, a very important aspect of this story, I think. 
Well, turning to some of the penny stock plays that I think, you know, have the chance to really be come 10, 20, 30, 40 baggers sometime in the future. One of those companies, Firefox Gold, it's a sponsor to this show, 103.4 million shares, 23 cents a share, $24 million market cap. Talk to us about Firefox. They're exploring the Greenstone Belt, of a very under underexplored Greenstone Belt in Finland. Yep, they're in the central Lapland, and they're in neighbor in the same neighborhood as Orion and uh, the Rupert Discovery there, um, Ikari deposit. So uh, you have, you know, multi-million ounce gold deposits in this neighborhood. In fact, uh, uh, Agnico is operating Kitala uh, just to the northeast, or sorry, northwest. Uh, Firefox is one of the biggest landholders in this district. And they've done great science. They've done great, you know, base till sampling and so forth. Identified really nice early stage drill targets. And earlier this year, I think it was May, they announced some high grade results, and then went back in, just drilled around there, and then they came up with a very long intercept. I think about 17 meters of, I think it was around seven or eight grams back in September. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the company been doing? Well, they've been drilling a lot. Okay, they put out an update. Uh, sometime in the past, I think, you know, call it four, four to six weeks, that most people probably went, eh, interesting. But I would say watch this space. I think they're on to a major discovery of, you know, the Rupert style, we'll call it. Uh, you know, now Orion's got their own discovery with B2 in the same neighborhood. And I think you're going to see this place absolutely explode. So I'm very optimistic about Firefox and where they're headed. Uh, Labrador Gold Corp. They're right next door to Newfound. Uh, talk to us about that. So, market cap of 100 million dollars. Certainly, look, Lab is really an extension of the same story as Newfound Gold. They're immediately to the north, on the Appleton Fault, and they have the same style of gold mineralization. Very high grade, epizonal, uh, you know, free gold style of mineralization. They drilled quite a few holes in the structural area to the immediate west of the Appleton Fault earlier in the year. And more recently, they've been testing areas on the east. Now, most people take the view the bigger structures, the bigger hosts are on the east side. Uh, haven't seen any news out of the company here recently, but I know they got started kind of later in the year. And it has been, you know, it's, it's the wet time of year, wet and cold and mucky. Uh, but uh, I think that's a story everybody should just sit patiently because my hunch is they will deliver high-grade results very much like we, what are seen immediately to the south at Lotto and you know Golden Joint and Keats. It's all the yeah. same stuff. Yeah, and with a uh, market cap of less than a tenth, one tenth of that of uh, Newfound, so it might be one uh, investors might want to pay attention to. With thirty seconds, um, maybe sixty seconds left, Hannon Metals. I'm going to talk to Michael Hudson next week, but that's a very unique uh, sedimentary hosted copper silver deposit. Thirty yeah, seconds. Most people, sure, most people don't realize, but. There are different types of copper deposits other than porphyries, and sedimentary-hosted copper deposits are the world's biggest. Uh, in Peru, there happens to be a brand-new discovery made by Hannon on the east side of the Andes. Now, it's been a slog with COVID and you know restrictions about travel and stuff, but they have done some exceptional work here lately that demonstrates they have a basin-wide copper system. It's a sheet-like uh, shale-hosted copper system that looks like it could be one of these world-class copper-silver deposits, you know, Cooper-Schiefer-type occurrence. If so, 
uh, watch this space. I think the company has a very exciting discovery in, at, in hand. Yeah, indeed. And it's, you know, it's a market cap of $16 million. All right. Well, we're have, going to have to leave it go at that. I mean, there's a Lion One Metals, another exciting story. We'll be talking about that. You'll be updating us on that. A Cassier Gold Corp, another one I know you like a lot. It's one of my favorites. So many good stories uh, heading into 2022. Should be a very exciting year. Thank you so much, Quentin, for being with us once again. Always a pleasure. Well, folks, that is it for this week. Next week, Alistair McLeod will be with me to share his views for gold and silver in 2022. Also joining me will be Michael Hudson, as I just said, of Hand and Metals, uh, and Michael Oliver will uh, be with me as well. Uh, let me take this opportunity to wish you all a happy, healthy, and prosperous 2022. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.